Welcome. Glad you could join us this morning. It's been two weeks since the killing of George Floyd, and it's been about one week since all the rioting and destruction so many of you saw on the news in uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul. The ripple effects of these events have spread worldwide, um, and it's resulted in more destruction and in some cases more death. I think if we were to try to stop and think about every single story of every individual that has been involved in any of this, it would just be overwhelming. If you tried to think of every story of every young black man who had been treated unjustly, or every story of every mom and pop store that was destroyed and people's livelihoods completely wiped away, I think we would just be overwhelmed. And this isn't even mentioning the ripple effects on the families and relatives of the people who are sometimes at the heart of these situations. So it's easier, rather than trying to understand individual stories, just to gather all of that up into overarching narratives. And then we decide which narrative we're going to believe and which one we'll be against. But I think God calls his people, his followers of Christ, to hold together and stand for truths that cut across political and cultural ideologies. I mean, Jesus did the unthinkable by talking to a Samaritan woman. He did the unthinkable by drawing a tax collector into his inner circle. I mean, he healed the soldier who was in the very act of arresting him. So as followers of Jesus, I'm asking us, and as a minister of this church, I'm asking us that our path is outlined by Christ and nothing else. And that means a follower of Jesus can protest injustice and sweep up broken glass in the aftermath of a riot. We can pray for the men who have been killed and for those that killed them. I know many in our church family are walking this path, and I am grateful for your examples, but as this continues to unfold, I want to take a minute and uh, pray for, uh, for this situation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful as a church that we have Christ who helps us navigate difficulty. I pray for our church family that we would be looking to Jesus for our response, for our reactions, both emotional and practical. God, I pray that you would draw us into your point of view, your perspective, your reactions. I thank you for so many in the church family who have worked hard to distribute groceries and to do cleanup and just do all the, the many unspoken, uh, unseen uh, acts in the aftermath of a situation like this. Lord, we pray for the family of George Floyd. We pray for the ongoing crisis in our country as a result of this. We pray for our nation. We pray that the church can be a shining light in the middle of all this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are in part three of our series called Trust Issues. And uh, if you have your Bible or you can turn your phone on, I want you to turn to the book of Proverbs 3, and we're going to read 5 and 6. If you haven't memorized it by now, I mean, now's the time. This is what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Now, the, uh, the other day, um, we decided to go through a drive through of one of those big national uh, chain coffee shops. They're not sponsoring the sermon, so I'm going to refrain from giving them free advertising. 
So at this point, everything is just drive-through, and you've been there. You, that's all you can do is you can order and then pick it up in the drive-through. So I pull into the drive-through of this place, and I'm maybe three or four cars back, and a few cars pull in behind us. And usually the service is pretty fast. I mean, they've got the process down, but this line is moving slow. In fact, I realize that we've been there like four or five minutes, and the first car in line still hasn't moved. I think that's a little strange, but they're probably extremely busy. There's a lot going on. I mean, kind of the last thing anybody really needs is to have their cup of coffee. So I figure I just got to be patient. Finally, that first car pulls around the corner up to the drive-thru win window, and then the next car pulls up to the order box. And, and again, it takes this surprisingly long time, another four or five minutes. And I'm thinking, man, I'll bet a bunch of people called in sick, and there's just one or two people, and it's hectic, and I've just got to be incredibly patient. And slowly, excruciatingly slowly, we're making our way forward to the place you order. So finally, it's our turn. We get up, roll down the window, and there's no voice coming out of the box that says, hey, can I help you? And I'm thinking, wow, they must be really busy. They must be super busy. And we just need to be super understanding and not rude because they're probably having to deal with a bunch of rude customers. So we wait and wait and wait. And finally, uh, Corrine says, wouldn't, wouldn't it be funny if the store was closed and we were all just waiting here? And I gave her a look. And if you've been married a while, you can do this. You can give a look that communicates quite a bit. So I said, uh, in my look, I said, uh, they're going to hear you through the box thingy, and it's going to sound rude, so don't talk so loud. That was the, the look I gave her. So we wait and wait and wait. I didn't want to pull ahead and lose my spot in line because we had waited for it so long. And then finally, Kareen says, she's the smart one. <laughs> she says, I'm going to go out and see if they're closed. So she gets out of the car, walks up to the window, comes back, gives me the signal that this place is shut down. They are just completely closed, middle of the afternoon, lights off, nobody's home. But car after car ahead of us had pulled up to order and sat there and eventually realized that nobody was coming and then pulled around the corner without telling anybody behind them without informing the rest of us. Now, for the record, we did tell everybody behind us this long line of cars that this place was closed. Now, this is a great illustration for so many things. I mean, it could be an illustration for how we're all just sheep, and if there's a line, we just stand in it. Uh, it could be an illustration for how problems are perpetuated. Nobody wants to admit that they're wrong. It's so embarrassing, and help the people behind them. But who knows how many cars just sat in that line all day long, and then they would realize and leave, and another car would come. It's no wonder that in this Proverbs chapter 3, it says this. It says, lean not on your own understanding. I mean, because look at the kind of things that we do with our understanding. Now, we're in week three of this topic, but I think we just need to state it. The biggest challenge, the biggest challenge to trusting God is going to be not trusting ourselves. Because think about it. I'm a pretty big influence on me. Uh, in the third grade, when I broke my foot, it was me who convinced myself to jump off the top of the monkey bars. Uh, whenever I argued with my parents in high school, it was me who convinced myself that I was right and they were wrong. When I fell asleep at the wheel of, uh, of my little pickup truck driving one morning as a young adult, it was me who thought it would be a great idea to stay up really late the night before. In fact, I have been present for every single bad decision in my whole life. You have been present for every questionable decision that you have ever made. When my mom warned me to stay away from bad influences as a kid, I probably shouldn't have spent so much time with me. 
Tolstoy wrote, man's whole life is a continual contradiction of what he knows to be his duty. In every part of his life, he acts in defiant opposition to the dictates of his conscience and his common sense. I mean, he did not hold out very much hope for mankind. Paul the Apostle wrote, Romans chapter 7, I do not understand what I do. Patrick Doherty said, well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. And I think every time we're considering our regrets, it's those ideas that, that go through our mind. It seemed like a good idea at the time. So when Proverbs tells us, lean not on your own understanding, he's not kidding. We cannot be trusted. But just like Charlie Brown in the football, every time there's another opportunity to either trust God or trust myself, I think, no, this time it'll be different. So this is the real dilemma. How do we make sure that we are trusting God rather than the man in the mirror? So I want to offer three principles that I think will help us navigate these crossroads. First of all, I think we need to understand that we have to be skeptical of me. Uh, have you ever heard of the concept of the unreliable narrator? It's, uh, I heard about this a few years ago, and it made me feel so smart, like I really knew what I was talking about. It's a literary device, and you'll see it in books and movies, and the idea is, is that the person who's telling the story may not be telling the truth. Uh, for example, one such piece of literature that is safe to reference at church is C.S. Lewis's Screw Tape Letters. And it's a genius piece of writing, but the author doesn't actually want us to believe the narrator. He's writing from the point of view of uh, a demon, Screw Tape, and he's giving advice to his nephew, Wormwood, who's a junior tempter. Now, you're supposed to read it, and then you're supposed to do or believe the opposite of what the narrator says. He's an unreliable narrator. Uh, if you're really interested in this sort of thing, uh, books like The Life of Pi or even Huckleberry Finn, they're unreliable narrators because they're not giving you the entire truth, or they're giving you one point of view. Now, we experience this kind of stuff every day. I mean, essentially any advertisement ever. This product probably won't actually change your life as claimed in the ad. Um, teenage boys are generally not as tall as they say they are, not as advertised. The juicy details in that gossip probably aren't quite as dramatic as they're being portrayed to be. The person you texted that meme actually probably isn't laughing so hard they're crying as their emoji would indicate. And, and what's wild is not only do we do this with each other, not only are, are we unreliable and untrustworthy with one another, we do this to ourselves. Sometimes we're telling ourselves stories. We're not always completely trustworthy with ourselves. Proverbs deals with this all over, but in Proverbs 28, 26, he says, those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. Now, a lot of us, when confronted with this dilemma, we think something like, yes, Absolutely. Most people should not trust themselves, but me, I am open-minded. I am an informed citizen. My opinions are well-reasoned, logical, and completely based on fact. Uh, Richard Feynman was this Nobel, Nobel Prize winning, winning uh, physicist, so he's a really smart guy. He decided to put all that brain power to exploring the question of why do people do and think completely irrational things? Um, why do people believe in Bigfoot? Why do they repost unverified conspiracy theories on Facebook? Now, by the way, just a quick PSA, generally a 10-second Google search, just a little Snopes.com, will save you so much uh, social media drama. Because honestly, I, it's crazy when people post stuff and they say, I haven't actually fact-checked this, but well, come on, fact check it. 
But anyway, here's what, here was Feynman's conclusion when he talked about irrationality. He said what mattered was not how smart people were. And this is important because we all think we're so smart that we've got, uh, we're, we're above everybody else. He goes, but what mattered was what followed the crucial principle of scientific thought, a kind of utter honesty, a leaning over backward to prove oneself wrong. He said in a word, self-skepticism. And listen to this quote. The first principle is that you must not fool yourself, and you are the easiest person to fool. Well, that's pretty good, but he could have just read Proverbs and saved himself all that time. Now, uh, here's a question that you can constantly ask yourself as you're navigating this issue between trusting God and trusting yourself. And, and warning, this will not make your life easier. But here's the question. Am I believing or doing this for any other reason than I want to follow Jesus and please God? Number two. Number one, we have to be skeptical of me. Number two, I want us to focus on character, not outcome. Character, not outcome. Now, I am endlessly fascinated by the Hebrew Bible. Um, and I'll bet that sentence probably just put three of you to sleep. But the background of the way that the rabbis uh, translated and collated scriptures is just amazing and incredible. They were so detail-oriented. There's so much rich history around this. So, for example, you probably know that the Hebrew Bible has 613 laws. 613. Um, there's actually a huge debate because there are some schools of thought that say 611 and some that say 613. And it's this huge controversy. Much ink has been spilled. I know, it's fascinating, right? It's fascinating to me. So some ancient, highly methodical type A people, they got out their binders and their slide rules and their spreadsheets, and they cataloged and cross-referenced every single command in the Old Testament. Then they removed all the duplicates and counted them up, and lo and behold, they got 613 or 611, depending on how you count. And then they began to categorize these commands. They realized that there were different, uh, different categories. For example, there were food commands and celebration commands and then just general life commands. But here's where it gets really interesting, at least to me. They realized that within these different categories, there were also two types of commands, two types. One, there were laws that came with explanations or were self-evident. So, for example, uh, there were laws that said, love foreigners among you because you were once foreigners in Egypt. So here's what you need to do, and here's why you need to do it. They have the what and the why. But there was this second category that's pretty interesting that didn't come with any explanation and aren't self-evident. Don't wear two or don't wear clothes made of two different kinds of fabric, but it, it doesn't say specifically why. Or if you find mold in a pot, you have to break it, but it doesn't tell you why. You can't just scrub it out. And so there's these commands that have the what, but they don't have the why. Now, I know some of you Sunday school types are on your couch and you want to raise your hands and you want to explain to me why God had these commands and what the rationale was behind them, but, but they're just guesses. We're just guessing because Scripture doesn't outline why God said some of the things he said. Now, this triggered endless debates between the rabbis. Why would God not explain himself? And here's what they concluded, and I think this is interesting. They reasoned if God always explained, always explained himself, we would be tempted to trust our understanding of his explanations. If sometimes God left things mysterious and unexplained, then we would have to decide whether or not we trust his character. Or to put it another way, are we trusting God or are we leaning on our own understanding? 
Now, this is big because the idea is even within the context of a relationship with God, we can mostly trust ourselves while convincing ourselves that we're actually trusting God, but we're trusting our understanding of the scriptures or our understanding of God. We're not actually trusting God. Now, this feels true to my experience because we can get very pragmatic about our relationship with God, about our obedience, about our trust. We can say things like, well, if I forgive them, they're just going to do it again. So to solve this problem, I need to retaliate. The way of God won't work. Or if I give generously, then what if something happens to me next week that I didn't see coming? Isn't it smarter to plan for all the contingencies I can think of first and then maybe give what's left over? Or, or if I put others first, like Jesus said, particularly in the context of my corporate job, I'll get eaten alive. I'll just get stomped over as other people get the promotions and get the achieve achievements. If I want to achieve, I have to pro promote myself and put myself ahead of others. So we're tempted to think if I trust God or I'll trust God if I can understand how everything will work out. And yet there's this wisdom in Proverbs where he's trying to teach his son a good life, and he says, do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to him. I mean, it is really, honestly, quite an achievement in our own lives when we choose to trust God's goodness over what looks like will provide for our best self-interests. So here's another question I think you should ask yourself as you're navigating this, this question of trusting God and leaning on your own understanding. Are we trusting the character of God more than our understanding of the process. All right, number three. Number three, growth is painful. Growth is painful. Honestly, that's not enough, a strong enough statement. You, we should say growth is really painful. Uh, maybe you've had a friend that's really into working out or, um, you know, running or whatever, and sometimes they'll use this phrase. They'll say, oh, man, this hurts, but they'll say, but it's a good hurt. Have you heard that phrase? Uh, it's a good hurt. Oh, sorry, I was under the impression that hurting was painful and bad. But what they're saying is that there is a pain that is a sign that you're actually getting healthier, that your muscles are getting stronger, or that your heart is getting stronger. Good pain, you say? <laughs> I don't know. At the first sign of pain, I think I'm just going to go back to the couch. Thank you. Now, spiritual growth means coming to terms with behaviors and beliefs in your own life that are wrong, and it is painful to admit that we're wrong. It's painful to repent. It's painful to confront the evil in ourselves. I mean, it is painful to look back and realize that we have harbored hurtful ideas for years or decades, and that we have interacted with the, the, our friends and relatives with these things, and we've hurt. It's painful to admit that. It's easier just to kind of defend those things. In fact, it's so painful that many of us would rather just reinforce our wrongness. Let's just bolster up that wrongness rather than admit it and then move on with our lives. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6, he's talking about navigating friendship relationships, but it's true with the things we tell ourselves as well. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. But listen, sometimes... That enemy is us. Now, maybe if you're still paying attention, maybe I can gently, humbly, kindly, graciously encourage something in you right now. It could be 
that the turmoil that our state, our cities, our nation is experiencing is an opportunity to experience good hurt that will lead to growth. Maybe you need to confront some attitudes or ideas in your mind that are wrong and you have wanted to defend yourself for decades. And maybe it's time to let down your guard and admit that maybe, maybe you've been wrong. It is always, it, it always feels better to, to, to feed the I am right part of us. That, that feeds our ego, that feeds our pride, but it doesn't make us more like Christ. Growth is painful. And in my experience, it is brutally painful, but it is worth it. It is a good pain. All right, let's wrap up by looking at our passage again. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. This week, you will be offered dozens of opportunities to decide whether you're going to trust in God or trust in yourself. And we have gotten so adept at, navigate the, at navigating these that sometimes we don't even realize what's happening. But maybe we need to stop and pause and reflect and be a little skeptical of ourselves to look at God's character and not our understanding of his commands and to remember that growth is painful. Or if you don't want to do that, just think of me sitting in a drive through lane at an empty coffee shop because I wasn't willing to get out and check and see if the place was open. Lean not on your own understanding. All right, next week we are having an outdoor service. We are getting ready for that. We're excited for that. We hope you can come. We'd love to have you. We have a detailed plan for how that will work, and we'll get that in your hands very soon because we want you to be able to make a wise, well-informed decision for you and your family about participating. But we are excited. We are looking forward to it. We haven't seen each other in almost three months, so it'll be good to see faces, at least the top half of faces, uh, that aren't covered by <laughs> masks. So I can't wait to see you next week, and I hope you can join us for part four of Trust Issues. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful to be confronted with the truth that our lives are often navigated with a trust of ourselves and not a trust in you. Lord, I know that we have opportunities this week to make decisions that will recalibrate the way that we think and the way that we interact with the world. And so I pray, God, that you would lead us to the path that is a path of trust, that you will allow us to be in situations as difficult and painful as they may be to exercise trust in you and to lean not on our own understanding, God. We want to be wise. We want to be Christ-like. We want to follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll see you next week.